0: Welcome to Empowered, by women, for women. This podcast brings you inspirational women and their stories, their successes, and their experiences along the way. Join us to be challenged and inspired, brought to you by Invintage and hosted by myself, Trudy Kerr. Yasmin Zamit-Stevens is Malta's weightlifting national champion and national records holder. Yasmin was the first woman from Malta to compete at the World Championships when she debuted in 2018, the same year she took part in the Commonwealth Games at Gold Coast in Australia. With her opportunity to be the first Maltese women to lift at the Olympics postponed due to the pandemic, Yasmin has continued to work up her game, smashing two European championships in Russia just a few months ago, breaking not one, but two national records with 88 kilos in snatch and 102 kilos in clean and jerk. But Yasmin is also a slightly unconventionally beautiful woman with nearly 100,000 followers on Instagram. Yasmin is doing so much more than winning at her sport she is doing so much more by smashing stereotypes and empowering women. Welcome, Yasmin. <laughs> Thank you very much. What an intro. <laughs> it, that was
1: great. Is it all right? Did I get everything yes, right? Yes, yes, definitely. I mean, um, it never gets boring to hear like my, my own achievements in a way. Like it's, it's almost surreal to myself to hear someone else... Um, kind of narrate them over It just it's just great to hear
0: <laughs> well I, I'm, I'm a big fan oh wow I'm really really excited and we're going to talk about all of the different aspects of what you do for instance a big fan because you are unconventional in a very conventional society by what you're doing. So first up, before we go any further, because weightlifting, you automatically think of men. Okay. So I need you to describe what kind of stuff that you do. I'm aware of the clean and jerk. Yes. And the snatch. Okay.
1: Can you just describe this for me and how they differ? Okay. So uh, basically for anyone who doesn't know the sport um, specifically, It is made up of the two main lifts. So when we compete, we compete uh, in the snatch and in the clean and jerk. And then the sum of the two is also a different type of event. So basically if you had to get a medal, you'd get, uh, people would get a medal for the best snatch the best clean and jerk, and also the best total. So it's like almost three separate events in the same competition. And you'd start off with the snatch, and you have three attempts in the snatch part of the event. And basically, it is lifting the barbell from the ground, directly overhead in one movement. So that is probably the um, hardest in terms of technique. You have is this to be- why there's less weight? In your yes. Co- okay. Exactly, because it has to be completely overhead with your arms fully extended overhead in one movement from the ground. So it differs from the clean and jerk because in the clean and jerk you have a break on the shoulders. So it goes from the ground to the shoulders and then the shoulders to overhead with your arms fully extended overhead. So that's why you can manage to lift a lot more in the clean and jerk because you you lift it almost halfway first and then overhead. So is the clean and jerk is easier? Well, it is easier if you have to do the same weight. But when you have 20, 30 extra kilos on the bar, you know, more than the snatch, they kind of equal out. I would say they're both as difficult (laughs) as each other, except that I personally, so this is more of like a personal um, aspect. I prefer the clean and jerk because it just, I feel like it requires more just all out strength, less technique. I say less technique because it requires a lot of technique anyway. But with the snatch, I feel like it's so technical where the weight on the bar almost is not even anything, like any of the importance of the the lift. You have to be so technical when you perform the snatch, that um, if one tiny thing goes wrong, you're done for, basically. So, yeah, so that's how the competition is. You have three attempts in the snatch. The best one is what counts. So even if, let's say, you only make one of the attempts, it doesn't matter because only the best one counts. Uh, Same for the clean and jerk. And then the total is a separate event. So yes, at the Europeans, like you said in the intro, I managed to break a national record in the snatch uh, twice over. So I broke the national record with my second attempt first, at 86. And then I continued to increase on that national record with 88, which was totally unexpected Because I had just had surgery in my wrist eight eight weeks before that, and had only started training properly five weeks before that. The snatch and the clean and jerk. Which
0: would you say you are stronger at compared Mm -hmm. to your competitors? (laughs) It's a
1: great question. Because I, even though I prefer the clean and jerk, I always rank better in the snatch. Okay. And I think it's one of those things where you work harder at the things you're less good at type of deal. So I think I'm always so worried about the snatch and always thinking that's my least favorite thing to do. I do it even more. And I ended up being better at it, I guess. Um, Having said that, when I came back from Russia, I decided I did not like how I ranked in The Cleaner and Jerk, so I've been putting a lot of work into that, and it's, they're definitely leveling out now. I hope to go to a competition where I'm ranked uh, the same in both in both disciplines. So that's the aim. So listen, tell me about training. Okay. Because I
0: follow you on socials uh, and, and it's very exciting uh, to watch what you're doing, but I see an awful lot of lifting. Mm-hmm. Is that the only thing that you do to train or, or do you have to do other things as well? Do you have okay. to run Yes, I mean,
1: or- a lot of people uh, see the repetition, see almost the boredom of what weightlifting training is. And it is repetitive. It is boring. But... Um, It is what it is. I think every single competitive sport is quite repetitive and um, you kind of have to get used to it. However, uh, having said that, the snatch and the clean and jerk are not the only three things we do in training. So most of the time is the things I post the most because they're the most interesting things to look at. However, we do a lot of squat variations, deadlift variations, and a lot of bodybuilding exercises. So stuff to kind of just make sure that your body is strong enough to hold onto the weight you're just throwing around. So the snatch and the clean and jerk uh, training is very technical. However, let's say if I'm I'm trying to throw a hundred and something kilos above my head, you kind of want to make sure that your arms, your back, your legs, um, all these muscles are strong enough to maintain this weight. So there are a lot of like, we call them accessory exercises which I never knew how important, you know, they were when I had just started. I used to do just the main work and then kind of put those things aside. And then when you start, you know, getting injuries and getting pains here and there, you, you start to realize how incredibly important those exercises are. And at the moment, I probably take as long uh, doing those exercises, the accessory exercises, as much as I do the main ones. So there's a lot of variations. Uh, It is always lifting stuff, definitely. Um, But in very different ways, different variations, different sets, different reps, different weights. So it it removes the sense of boredom, I guess, in that sense. We're going to talk about your
0: injuries a little bit later on because you have made this incredible recovery, and I'm so thrilled for you. But before we get there, you know, let me continue with this training. How many hours a day are we talking about you training for? Okay,
1: so um, at the moment, I train twice a day, every day except Thursday and Saturday, where I only train once on those days. And then on the Sunday, I'll take a full day off of lifting weights, but I'll do an activity that's like active rest. So let's say um, the last Sunday I went paddleboarding with my boyfriend and that was our, you know, active recovery exercise of the day. In terms of hours, it kind of depends on the type of program I'm doing, whether I'm in a prep phase or competition phase. But on average, each session takes me around two hours, um, It's four hours training a day. Yes, including like the warm up and stuff like this. And I'll also do extra stuff that is not um, considered training, like stretching and saunas and ice baths and stuff like this. Those are not part of the training, but they're just as important. So those are my recovery, my recovery exercises. And those take a lot of time as well. So yes, I definitely need to make an incredible amount of time a day, which is why I am training full time.
0: So we're talking about the training here, but let me ask you about your career, because we mentioned injuries just a few minutes ago. How long is the career of a weightlifter? Is it a short span? Is it a long span? Can you look at a
1: career for the next 10, 15 years? Yeah. So I think that's one of the main reasons I took up the sport, because... Uh, keep in mind that I started the sport when I was 22. So not an ideal age to start a new sport. I mean, I was not always in this sport. I literally had just figured out what it was at 22 and started practicing it at a very amateur Why? level. Why? What
0: made you do that?
1: So I was at university studying uh, mathematics and statistics. Yes, I know. Shocking. I did graduate with that degree, but um, did nothing with it. But it's it's been great. I love maths. So, so we were at school all the time. And me and my friend and we're kind of complaining about how we sit down all the time we're not as active as much as we used to be and stuff like this and he suggested we try out a crossfit class um, so I met him right after school we went to do this crossfit class and basically crossfit requires some weightlifting and whenever we had weightlifting in the class I was just so obsessed like it's all I wanted to do so much so that I would check what the class was and if there was no weightlifting being done I wouldn't even show up And the coaches at the time at this CrossFit uh, gym realized, obviously, where my passion was, and they suggested that I, you know, take on weightlifting specifically. I had no idea that was a thing. Like, I had no idea it even existed in this country. And yeah, so I met the national team coach, uh, expressed my passion towards it. He, He said he would help me out with, you know, practicing the technique, teaching me the technique. And I've not literally looked back since then. It's been just on and on and on. I graduated a few months later and spoke to the coach and said, listen, I'm really enjoying it. What if I spend a few months doing this full time, see where it takes me? And, you know, I thought it would take three months. I would be like, OK, this is not going anywhere. I need to look for a job or something. But it just kept getting better and I kept getting better and it went from making national team to breaking national records to being the first woman to go to Europeans to being the first person ever to go to Worlds. Like it it just went beyond anything I could have ever imagined so I'm still testing it out basically
0: I can't believe you're still testing it out you're still deciding whether you're going to do this or not but if you do decide to stay with it how much longer do you have yeah
1: so a a weightlifter's career is not short-lived and yes this was the point I was going to go with um it's one of the reasons I, I took it up and I, I had the courage to was because you see athletes at the Olympic Games that are like 35 years plus, And they've been doing it for years and years and years. And studies have shown that women actually continue to just get better at weight sports. And they actually get better after they have kids and stuff like this. like it It just kept giving me so much courage to keep going and thinking... I'm actually still young in the sport. I mean, now I'm 28, which in other sports would be considered, you know, close to retirement. Whereas in weightlifting, everyone just keeps saying, oh, OK, you have so much, so many more years left in you. Don't worry about it. Like, just keep going. And I think that's why I definitely had the courage almost to keep going and take it on in the first place.
0: Are there any long term effects? I mean, are you going to be an old age? You're going to have a bad back or?
1: OK, so weightlifting specifically, no, it does not Hurt your back, it does not hurt your knees. Contrary to what so many people think, it actually makes your body so much stronger. I mean, imagine lifting with great technique, with a great coach that's teaching you how to making your back so strong that when you went to lift anything else, be it your groceries or you're moving some furniture around the house, you're strong enough to do that. So it's Everyone definitely to better. shopping with you, right? Yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Tell my mom, I'm always the one to bring the, <laughs> the shopping in from the car, you know, and always giving me like the heaviest <laughs> bags. But then again, doing anything competitively, so not just weightlifting, any other sport, it's going to have its effect. We, as athletes... We don't train to be healthy. We train to be competitive. Of course, we want to be healthy, but that's not our main aim. Our main aim is to compete, to break records, to get medals. So I always say being an athlete is not always the healthiest thing to do. You know, it's not like I'm just doing my training after work to kind of stay active and stuff like this. We can, Sometimes we go above and beyond. Sometimes I'm in pain and I need to just... Push through because I have a competition coming up. Yes, when you're an athlete, you're going to have to deal with injuries, but it's not because it's weightlifting. I think any other athlete in any other sport can confirm that, even in their sport, you kind of have to expect injuries, especially when you reach a certain level.
0: Well, let's talk about those injuries for a second, because you're quoted as saying in an interview last year, I'm tired of fighting with my head to try and be positive. It goes on to say a Yasmin told her follow, followers of a difficult period before the 2019 Worlds in Thailand, adding that you were convinced that the only way out of pain was just to stop lifting. And of course, as you've just said, weightlifting, like any other sports, carries the risk of injury. Uh, and f- just as you said, eight weeks before yeah. the competition, you've got yourself a, a risk wrist yeah. operation. Yeah. And then six months Also, prior to that, out of competition because of a back injury. Mm -hmm. So how common are these injuries for you? And what's the psychological effect of that Mm -hmm. in your career, in your competition?
1: Yes, I think injuries in the last year and a half became a bit more common just because obviously we just postponed everything by a year. It's actually really like it hurts me to hear my own words. And I do remember filming that, that um, sentence that, that you just quoted, it was actually something I recorded on my own laptop for myself uh, because I travel a lot and I don't have a lot of people to speak to, especially if I'm in a country where people don't speak my language. One of my sports psychologists suggested that I kind of speak, speak to myself sometimes if I have no one else to talk to. And that was actually one of those moments where I was going through a really tough time mentally because of an injury in my ankle at that time. Physically, I've never felt like it hurt as much. So I'd be injured, but I'm the type of person that kind of pushes through. It's fine, I'll get over it. I can lift in pain, I promise you I've tried. Most, the most thing I struggle with is the mental aspect. This has become my identity. So I am Yasmin the weightlifter. If I am recognized, I'm recognized as Yasmin the weightlifter. And not being able to be a weightlifter breaks my heart. So when I do get injured, that's all I think about is, will I ever be able to be called Yasmin the weightlifter again? Will I be able to compete again? My country has been following me. They have been supporting me. My family have been supporting me. Like, all I think about is this is going to be a disappointment. And I know it wo- It wouldn't be. I mean, now that I think about it with, with a more clear head, I know that that's not what would happen. But... At that moment, you're hurting so much. You want to train. You know, like I, I, all of a sudden, my entire routine is disrupted. You only just sit down and think. And all that thinking does not do me so much good. So that's basically it. I definitely feel like mentally it's been the worst. However, having said that, over the years, I've matured mentally as well. Not that I was ever immature, but I was inexperienced. So I did not know how to deal with injuries. And there was no one before me who did the things I did to teach me or tell me, oh, that's completely normal, you're going to be fine. You know, everyone goes through that. I had no idea what was going on. Eventually, with more experience, with meeting more experienced international lifters, learning of my own injuries and my own experiences talking to a sports psychologist, you know, kind of putting my pride aside and, and, and knowing that that is very incredibly important to do, I've become better at dealing with the mental issues, the mental aspects of the sport. It's not that they went away at all, but let's say before this wrist injury, I dealt with it in a much better way this time around. And it was probably even worse than, let's say, that ankle injury or the back injury because it was super close and this time it was surgery. So I knew that this was gonna be worse in terms of recovery, in terms of the, the mental aspect of it. So I really knew I needed to prepare, you know what, this is gonna to be tough, so I'm gonna make sure that I'm speaking to someone throughout, speaking to a professional throughout this experience, this, this you know, surgery and post-surgery and stuff like this, and just be forgiving with myself, meaning it's okay that I'm not gonna be lifting the weights I was lifting a month after, it's fine. I mean, it's. It, can't possibly be lifting what I was lifting, you know, with stitches still in my hand. I, I can be, I learned how to be more forgiving. And it really paid off. It really paid off just really mentally kind of pushing through and, and um, the, the prior experience on how to deal with it paid off because I went to that competition hungrier than ever, you know, for like just wanting to have fun on the platform. And that was actually the first competition post-COVID. So there was so many things like dealing, coming into the same competition, post-surgery, first one post-COVID, last Olympic qualifier. It was just great. I just wanted to get on that platform and have fun because I didn't know if it was going to be my last, you know, qualifier, if I was going to be okay after it because, of course, it was still recovery from surgery. So I'm getting better. And I, I, I always actually say this on my socials that making sure to treat your mental training as well as you treat your physical training at this level in the sport is incredibly important.
0: But that's the maturity that you mentioned before. Mm-hmm. When you talked about this sport having a longevity mm-hmm. into a longer life than other sports, mm-hmm. that's where the mental game comes in. Of course, And so many sports are
1: about a mental game and 100%. how you win is about I, I honestly don't think that I broke a record because I was the strongest I've been. I wasn't 100%. Everything felt so much heavier than it did usually. I think I just went with a different attitude. And I think that is what's making me better now. And you get to a level in the sport where, how can I explain this specifically? You get to a level where you can keep training the same way, but your body can only do so much. So you need the mental edge. I used to hear other athletes say it on the competition platform. It's not the strongest who wins, physically strongest who wins. It's the like who's strongest mentally Mm. that wins. It just eventually started making so much more sense. Like, maybe I'm not the strongest. That's all I kept thinking at Europeans. I'm not the strongest I've ever been at all. But this time, I am really going with such a different mentality, with such a different attitude that... I'm going to make it count. And that is like my number one motto. It's what I always probably all my followers know me for is just to make it count. It doesn't have to look pretty. It doesn't have to be the most effortless looking lift. I'm just going to go out there and make this lift count. We're going to talk
0: about you and your followers in a minute. Before we get there, I've got one more question with regards to your training and your what you're doing at the moment, because you just mentioned the Olympics. Mm -hmm. And of course, you were looking forward to qualifying to become the first Maltese women Mm -hmm. to lift at the Olympics in Tokyo. Now, obviously, the Games didn't take place. We had the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And I often, I sit there and I think about the athletes who trained up for that specific Olympics. And they were peaking right at 2020, probably because of the Olympics, we'll miss that slot. Now, that's not the case for you, because as you mentioned, you have a long, long career ahead of you. And we're really thrilled for that. But when the pandemic hit and the Olympics were cancelled, how did that impact
1: on you? Because that
0: must have been just mind blowing and just really devastating.
1: Yes. So, I mean, it's, it's important to note that, first off, my place at the Olympics was never and still is not confirmed. So in weightlifting specifically, it's only a final. So it's only 14 people that get to go. So it was always a slim chance of me going. So I was always mentally prepared not to go. And to be honest, the Olympics was always just an aim that I made uh, to kind of aim big. You know, like everyone always says, you aim big, so you kind of get to everywhere else easier. And, and I did. I basically went to every single other competition. The Olympics is the only thing I've not done. Uh, any other competition I'm eligible for, I've, I've managed to compete in. So in that aspect, it's been a win. Now, as you said, every single athlete was peaking for summer 2020 to postpone An event by an entire year when you've spent the last four years of your life peaking specifically for, you know, one event is not an easy task. And like I said, that's probably why I was so injured in the last year. I remember thinking in January 2020, I remember constantly thinking it's the last push and I can take a break. I'm so tired, like my body hurts so much and I I, mentally I'm drained, you know, last push, last push. Last push, and then if I don't qualify, it's fine. If I qualify, it's even better. But, you know, you have to keep going until they give you the place or not. And when they postponed it, it was a shock for every single athlete, I'm sure. Like, we were just all just... not even, like, sure what to do with ourselves. Because it's not like they postponed them for sure. At a point last year, it just seemed like they would never happen, not even this year. I mean, now... Everyone, it seems like they're definitely gonna happen. But at a point we were just training for the fun of it. It almost felt like we were just training for something that was not gonna happen. So it was a de- definitely a very confusing time. And like I said before, this is our identity as athletes. This is what we, we do with our lives. And all of a sudden the pan- the pandemic took that away from us for sure, especially as competitive athletes. We weren't competing anymore, and it was a very confusing time. And again, a very mentally draining uh, period of of our lives, for sure. Yeah, it's definitely looking a lot brighter this year. We competed again internationally. Everything seems like it's going, going on as usual. And, you know, if the Olympics don't happen for me, there's so many other great, huge events this year that I'm really looking forward to.
0: And I assume going back once again to what you said before, if you don't make the Olympics this year... There's going to be the Olympics yes. in three years' time. Of course, yeah. Not even four years' time. Oh, that's
1: crazy. Yeah, that's true. I've never, I, I never even thought about how much closer this time the Olympics are.
0: When you were back at 22 years old, if you could have had a look into the future... Oh, my God, I would be so incredibly proud of
1: myself. I can't even tell you, like... I get so emotional thinking about, you know, 22-year-old Yaz. I honestly do because I remember, and I genuinely do get so emotional thinking about this because I remember sitting down with like people and telling them these wild dreams that I had. Imagine if I'm the first Maltese girl to go to Europeans and everyone used to tell me, calm down, like it's never been done. And you're 22, like everyone used to, not discourage me, but be realistic really. I mean, at that point. I had, I had not been training professionally in any other sport of my life. Um, I hadn't been training at all for a few years. So you would think like, listen, you're getting a bit ahead of yourself. And I just felt it. I knew at that point I felt that I could make it. If I really worked hard, I really, really could. And my immediate family really believed in me as well. So I remember telling my dad, like, what do you think if I graduate and not work for now? Like, what do you think if I kind of just train and see where this takes me? And he was all for it. And my dad is a, a principal of, of, of the schools, so government schools. So he was always very education-based and, you know, get your get your A-levels, go to university, get your degree. It's so important. And it meant a lot to me that he believed in me so much that he supported me through it, not just Mentally supported me to it, but financially, because let's face it, being an athlete isn't a paid job. So I was 22, unemployed, and my entire family—not just my dad, even my younger sister—would pay for stuff for me, which is incredible. I mean, I I got so lucky, and I get really emotional thinking about how lucky I am. And this, everything that I've done, is first and foremost for them. And every time I compete. And every time I manage to do something, it is 100% dedicated to the people around me that have helped me through it. You know, it's, it's been an incredible past five years. You're getting me emotional
0: <laughs> talking about this story. I really, you're telling me about this and I'm welled up. I'm really close to tears. Oh. <laughs> I wanted to finish up with another unexpected side effect mm-hmm. of what you do. And that is that you have just short of 100,000 followers on Instagram. And that is an incredible it's privilege, but I'm sure it's also an incredible responsibility as well. Are you aware of the influence that you have or could have on
1: your followers? So when I go on Instagram, to me, it's just posting a photo like I've always done for the past five years. And, you know, I look at the numbers, I look at the number of followers and the number of views and the number of likes, but they almost seem like just numbers. It's it, doesn't always, I don't always realize that those are all people. You know what I mean? Like it's Since I don't actually see them physically, I kind of forget how many people are actually watching me. And let's say if I post a story, um, most of the times my stories get over 10,000 views, individual views. So sometimes I just sit down and think, if, if I had to sit down 10,000 people is like in, in a smaller arena or something like this, like that's a lot of people. And sometimes I do get a bit overwhelmed, like, wait, what did I post? Did I post anything like a bit weird or anything like that? Like you start second guessing what you're doing. But I kind of don't want to do that either because these people are following me because I've been so genuine in the way I post, I think. And um I've also been very lucky to have an incredible positive following. So I think every single person that follows me follows me because they want to kind of thing, not to kind of put me down or anything like that. You do hear a lot lot about people who get a lot of negativity on social media, which is really sad and I'm really happy to not be getting any negativity almost at all. When I do realize how many people follow me or when I do realize how many people I might be influencing is when I post something that is about let's say the mental aspect or something I've been struggling with or an injury or just a personal message, and I kind of put my phone down, then I go back on my phone, and the amount of messages I get, people that really know me, and I, I, I don't know the person, but they know everything about me because they've been following me, and the heartfelt message, you know, it's not just a random message, this person knows me, this person wants the best for me, and it's so incredibly emotional. Sometimes I sit there for hours, going through the messages and just thinking, this is insane, like what have I done to deserve? This love from this amount of people. Because, because
0: you're a woman who is doing something that most people would perceive in a man's world, and you're really doing it well. And you also said back there that you're genuine. I assume that these followers are not ones that are paid, these are organic followers of course. that have just been inspired by your story. So that's why, because if you can do it, and if you decided at 22 years old, this is what you were going to do, and you dreamt big, then it gives motivation to
1: every other woman to possibly dream that same dream. I really hope so. And that's one of the main things that drives my Instagram is a lot of times I just think about when I was going through that really tough time, what would I have read that would have made me feel better? And that's the type of thing I want to post on my Instagram. And that's what I try to do. Because when I used to follow other athletes and maybe they used to post something about, oh, look, you know, even we miss lifts. And that used to make me feel really good. Okay, this this great lifter is missing lifts, is not doing well. She's feeling really bad or she's not doing well today or you know, she got her period and she's in pain and just being real. And I remember it makes me feel so much better. It makes them look human to me. And it makes me as an athlete who's trying to be like them feel better. So now I just think, okay. so of course, some athletes are being influenced by what I'm doing. I want to make sure that I'm being 100 percent genuine. And I want to tell them, listen, I'm nothing special. Like, honestly, I'm just exactly like everyone else, every other woman. When I get my period, I'm sloppy and wanting to just sleep all day and eat everything in the fridge. And a lot of people react to it like, oh, my God, do you really? Like, are you like that as well? Okay, so you're just like, you know, you're just like everyone else. Of course I am. (laughs) 100%. So... That's definitely something that drives my my feed, drives my stories on my Instagram is I want to constantly be helping someone who's like a younger Yaz. So I always think about that. I always think, okay, what would have helped me mentally? What would have helped me get to my training? Because if other athletes' Instagrams helped me, then I want to make sure I have that responsibility as a person who has that amount of following to help other athletes as well. And yes, that is why
0: we love you. And so <laughs> many of us are following what you do and wishing you well. Look, we're going to be cheering you on for the next year and on to that long career that you have ahead of you. Thank you so much. Thank you. For being here with me on InVintage and inspiring not just me, but everybody else who's listening.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's been such a pleasure.